Good Monday morning and welcome to another episode of the podcast Insanity, a peace of mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Episode 132 will be a continuation of last week's episode in a different context. I'll get to that in a minute. A couple of things first. I want to talk about parenting. And if you're a parent by choice, by force, or any other extenuating circumstances, your job is to create emotional security and an emotional connection with your children. And I realize in the context of family life, starting way back at the beginning of time, our roles as parents and our roles as children have been very different depending on the circumstances. But it seems to me that in 2023, there is some room to do a little bit more work than just providing food, shelter, and clothing. Food, shelter, and clothing is critical. And if you are struggling with that, then maybe you're less concerned about an emotional connection. And that makes sense. But in the realm that I am speaking of, which deals mostly with a reasonable, not too dysfunctional, not over-functioning, but just this space where people are more or less well-off, more or less dealing with factors that are manageable. In this place, it is incumbent upon parents to begin wherever you are to do this work of emotional connection and emotional security. It is never the child's responsibility to own creating that connection. No matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, it is the parent's job. You might get older adult children making efforts that maybe didn't exist when they were younger, and it is still the parent's responsibility to create a space for that emotional connection and emotional security to grow. So start now. The more you learn about this type of connection and parenting, the more responsible you are for the information and the better you can be going forward. So I'm going to say it again. Under typical normal circumstances, whatever that looks like, if basic needs are met, it is your responsible, your responsibility as a parent to create emotional safety and emotional connection with your children. Period. End of story. There's no wiggle room. There's no excusing yourself out of it. Assuming basic needs are met and you're not struggling in a million different areas of your life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is your children owe you nothing. They don't owe you respect. They don't owe you obedience. 
They don't owe you any kind of deference because you are their parent. That kind of stuff is often demanded. I know I did that. I know we as parents did that and believed that there was this notion that because we were their parents, they owed us obedience and respect and good grades and all of the things that we wanted to see from them because those things made us feel good about ourselves. I lived that. I have since learned that that is not true. Children do not owe their parents anything. If we begin to create those emotional connections, operate under a different standard, do different things, then the result of that is a mutual respect and a mutual admiration and offered obedience because that is the culture in the home, not because I'm a, an authoritarian parent who demands things to be the way I want them to be. So the emotional connection The things that I talked about last week in episode 131 are the stepping stones and building blocks to create a relationship where respect, camaraderie, obedience, value are reciprocal. There is no place in any relationship for a big me, little you. And certainly that is how parent-child relationships are set up. And then as I have mentioned previously, our children, when they grow up and are old enough and can make choices, they can decide whether they want to have anything to do with us at all. And if we have not created a mutually beneficial relationship between us and our children, when they walk out the door, that might be the end. Okay? So... They don't owe us anything. What we can get out of them in terms of respect and honor and uh, reverence, so to speak, is because we have provided to them a place where they are valued as human beings. When we see and listen and hear and understand our children through emotional connection and validation and discipline and all of the things I talked about last week, then they feel naturally inclined to offer up those things that we would like, frankly, from anybody we are in a relationship with and not just our children. That is the second thing. I want to talk about emotional connections in our adult relationships. And I'm going to use the same framework and the same layout that I used last week when we talked about parent-child relationships and show you how to use the same skills to build an emotional connection with another adult person in your life. That might be your partner, that might be a coworker or a friend or a 
sibling, okay? And I will go through and use adult examples to show how this can be transferable into all our relationships, which is something I've been saying over and over and over again. Anytime I talk about parenting tips, tricks, strategies, they are also tips, tricks, and strategies, and just good ways to be in relationship with all people in your life. So it's not mutually exclusive to one demographic. All right. As a reminder in the parent child podcast last week, it was about having influence and not operating from a place of control. I believe as parents and caregivers and caretakers, you or we have a responsibility to provide the best opportunities through emotional connection and physical and mental safety to help our kids learn and take in information and knowledge that is beneficial for their best growth and development that is done through influence okay i don't believe that there is really any room for influence or persuasion as a direct goal in our adult relationships so i'm going to hang on to the thing that i've been saying for the past few podcasts if and when I change my mind or have a reframe, I will let you know. But right now, I'm still in the same space. I think a person's desire to influence or persuade another person is primarily from a place of insecurity. And that insecurity includes fear. It includes frustration. It includes superiority. It includes, mm, I don't know, any number of other things that are coming from deep inside you. So when I go through these things to build an emotional connection with another person, the only reason I'm telling you these things and asking you to implement them as an adult in your adult relationships is so you can be a better person. The only reason I'm trying to do these is so that I can be a better person. It is not so that I can build influence or create safety so I can persuade. Because when I go at it from that point of view, then my motive becomes muddled. It becomes about an outcome and it really amplifies my anxieties and my fears and me thinking that I am somehow in possession of something that somebody else has to have in order to be happy or secure or good or better. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to look at people and see what they lack and believe 
I have to do something about that. And as I practice these skills and I work on them and I internalize them and I make them part of me so that I like the way I am with other people, if influence and persuasion comes as a result of that, then that will be fine or an interesting turn of events or neat. But if that's my outcome, then I am not operating from a place of genuineness, compassion, or empathy. I'm trying to get something. And I don't want to try to get something out of people, even if that's their agreement or their shift in perspective. I just don't want to do that. And I think so much of our relationships are bogged down by this idea that we need to make people different. First one is discipline, not punishment. Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, how does that fit within my adult relationships? Well, I actually took some time and really thought about it so I could make as much of a direct comparison as possible. So discipline versus punishment. I started, I think, I thought, okay, what about, what does this look like in the workplace? And I thought of a couple things. So, and then I asked permission to tell this story. So I started working at a place called Maddox and Snuffer, I don't know, 1987, 1988, something like that. And I had a job where I was part of a legal secretary team and we did just legal secretary stuff. I was alone in the office. My job was to transcribe a tape that had been taped or recorded a tape that had been recorded. It was a, an ASBCA brief. It was very, very, very long. And my job was to record. So the way this was set up is we had tapes that came in and then tapes that were finished and had to be erased. You erase a transcription tape by uh, shooting it through a little box kind of thing that has a magnet in it. So you just whip it right through there and it the magnet uh, erases the tape part, okay? Easy peasy. Um, I've been there long enough. I mean, I knew what I was doing and everything. This is a job I was very used to. I was there by myself. I think I was probably responsible for answering the phones as well. I think I had had a client come in and I had to take care of them and, you know, tell them that the attorney they were looking for was not there. So I was pretty busy and pretty distracted. And what I did by mistake was I erased the tape I had not transcribed. And the minute I did it, I knew what I had done. And it was, I mean, I was horrified. I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And so I waited for my direct supervisor to come back. And she came back and I told her what I had done. And she knew where the attorneys were and where the attorney was. And so she said, well, we're going to have to tell him what happened. I can't remember, this was 
pretty much before cell phones, but one of the attorneys had a giant car phone. I can't remember if we, I don't think we called him on a car phone. I think she actually went, I think she got in her car and drove to the restaurant they were at and actually told him what had happened. And she just said, you just go back in the back room and you just stay there and I will take care of this and then we'll see what's going on. I said, okay. So I did this and I just waited in the back room, probably, you know, filed some papers or did something and figured my job was about to be lost and I was going to be fired and whatever. So he came back and basically he had to re-record it. Okay. So whatever it was, it was very long and it had probably taken him a couple of days to record really well done. Uh, because that's just how this particular attorney works. And so the second one, much bigger of a time crunch, had to get it done so that it could get into the hands of a secretary and be transcribed and then edited and then filed and all of that good stuff. And so I didn't see him for, you know, two or three or four hours. I don't remember. It may have, may have even been the next day. I don't remember the details, but I remember the important parts because I'm still thinking my job's on the line. And so when he finally finished and came to talk to me, he asked me a couple things. He said, do you know how this happened? And I said, I absolutely know how this happened. And I I don't remember if I explained how it happened or if he wanted me to explain, but I knew I was busy. I was distracted. I had phones and I had a client and I just didn't keep the tapes separate enough. So I know how it happened. I knew the minute I did it, what had happened. So that was the first question. Do you know how it happened? I said, yes. Second question was, will it ever happen again? And I said, absolutely not. It will never happen again. And then he said to me, okay, we will never speak of this again. And I said, okay. And 30 some odd years later, not only do I still work there, but I actually married him and he has never spoken of it again. In the workplace, that is the difference between punishment and discipline. He didn't overtly take time to teach me what was wrong, but he absolutely allowed me to learn by my mistake with no punishment or anything punitive, right? He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't fire me. He didn't humiliate me in front of other people. He just gave me the opportunity to know that I learned from my mistake. So that's my own personal experience with that. Certainly in other employer-employee relationships, the employer, in order to teach, as in disciple, maybe create a mentorship program or increase training or do something to help the employee learn from whatever their mistake was, right? That's how you would do it in a work scenario. Friendships. If you have some sort of difficulty in a friendship and maybe you have somehow done something wrong or offended a friend of yours. The punishment 
side or punitive side would be maybe this friend doesn't take your phone calls, or maybe you begin to hear that they're saying things behind your back um, and not talking to you about it. And maybe they refuse to take your, uh, maybe you're trying to make amends and they won't listen to you. That feels very punitive and very much like punishment. If the friendship is worth salvaging, then the person you offended who might need something from you would then take a different role where they might show some vulnerability and reach out to you and tell you how you hurt them. They might be proactive and ask for some time and space away from you because perhaps the offense was pretty big. Maybe they would be transparent about what's going on for them and at least let you know that they don't think they can be friends with you anymore because of this particular issue. Not punitive and not punishment, but more of a teaching and way of being that even if the relationship ends or needs space, they are showing up as authentic and vulnerable and connected. Even in the disconnection, they are showing up as connected. So that's how that would look in a friendship relationship. In partners, the difference between punitive punishment or discipline shows up in punishment like contempt, yelling, overreacting, ignoring, avoiding, holding grudges, right? These are punishments in our adult relationships. We don't think of them that way, but if you are on the receiving end of this kind of behavior, it feels like a punishment. But if you are on the receiving end of that partner saying to you, I feel really unappreciated when I have told you something and expressed a need or desire and you just ignore it repeatedly. And what I really need from you is some sort of acknowledgement that you are either going to meet me where I need to be met or you're not so that I can then adjust. So then you are reaching out with this thing and their response is, oh, let me see how I can meet you there. So you can tell in my explanations that they're not going to fit neat and tidy into discipline and punishment, but I'm trying to give you the same ideas so that you can be a better person in your adult relationships. So a discipline or a disciple-like relationship in that partnership would be some validating and expressing appropriate feelings. So let's say, um, I told my spouse that I would get the bills paid and I'm trying to think of something that isn't too heavy, but shows some sort of disconnect. Okay, let's let's use the bills. I told my spouse that I would get the bills paid and I got really busy and I didn't. And so we have two overdue bills. All right. So 
I am the person, now I'm the person who's frustrated about that, right? So I am the other person and I go in and I start yelling and overreacting and telling my partner that I'm tired of them never doing what they say they're going to do. And now we have these two overdue bills and I start piling on. That's That feels like punishment. That does not feel like discipline in that it's a teaching moment, right? So to do it the other way, you would come and say, hey, I feel really, really anxious um, when I ask you to get the bills paid and you're not getting them paid. And I need to know if this is something that you can handle. And that gives me the opportunity to connect, to uplift, to validate, to show some sort of respect to this person who I actually care about, right? I'm not trying to punish. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it so that I can, we can figure out how to run our finances in a responsible way. That would be an example. Okay. The next one is uh, sometimes you don't even need consequences, right? So I'm going to go back to that example of the tape that I erased because I not directly, but through my direct supervisor, we went directly to him and said, hey, this is what's happened. I owned it immediately. And because I owned it immediately and we went through this idea of having learned it'll never happen again, there really were no consequences. I didn't lose hours. I wasn't docked in pay. I wasn't held hostage by somebody being mad at me. It was just over and it never came up again in that arena that's how that worked i do want to talk briefly about the shift in those relationships because at that point i was an employee and i later became a spouse it's harder as spouses to not be more reactive when things happen right? But the one characteristic that he has hung on to is that he does not hold things over my head. So when he forgets, he forgets. And that's most of the time, that's really awesome. And I'm really grateful for that. Okay, so sometimes consequences, sometimes things just don't need consequences. Sorry, I'm flipping pages. That means not everything needs to be something. You don't have to get mad or annoyed or react to everything that your partner does or everything that one of your coworkers does. We are annoying as human beings. We do things over and over and over again that annoy people. We might be short-tempered. We might be bad uh, group members. We may not work well in groups. We may not carry our weight at work 60% of the time. We might be going through a really hard time at home and therefore we are not a good friend. Okay. On the other side of those things, you don't have to nitpick or call out or be angry or address everything. Sometimes you don't need to do anything. You really should 
when possible and when it's appropriate, give as much grace as you can and be internally forgiving to someone and just really inside show and increase your empathy and compassion for another person's weaknesses or faults or downfalls or misses and just say, this isn't a pattern of behavior or the pattern that this behavior has been showing isn't too bad yet. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can just give grace. So don't criticize or confront if there are other options. Okay. I know that as adult people in relationships, we carry a lot of external stuff around with us. I bring home work. My friend may be disconnected from me because she's going through difficult family things. I may have a sibling who I don't agree with on very fundamental issues. I may be a mom who is overwhelmed and has a hard time connecting because I'm frazzled. Many times these kinds of things make us irritating, disagreeable, quick to anger, right? And if we can be in relationship with other people who cut us some slack, when it's okay to cut us some slack and not offer up a consequence for our bad day, that would be a good way to be in a relationship, an adult relationship. Another one is to acknowledge and validate. So let's go back to that naming it to tame it thing. So let's say you are feeling big feelings because you're human, right? Let's say you have this really strong opinion about something and you want other people to feel the same way you do. And you are really passionate about this. And so you talk about it a lot. And the responses are anything from decent engagement to complete and utter resistance, right? So let's assume that you come to me with a strongly held view about something and I'm like, you know what? I just don't care. It's not something I'm interested in, not something that I want to spend my time talking about, don't have any interest in being persuaded about this. And so I'd really like to call a full stop to this conversation. And you freak out, right? And you tell me that I'm wrong or that I have to do something different or that if I miss this opportunity to learn this new thing, that something terrible is going to happen. I don't know, whatever it is. And I say, wow, it really, I can really tell that you are, you feel very strongly about this. And I can see that you're really mad and angry at me that I will not engage in this conversation with you. So in responding to that anger, 
because I kind of set a boundary and said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And then the anger came and I'm responding to that anger and I'm naming it. Um, you know, maybe I'd say, it sounds like you are kind of afraid that if I don't understand this, that, you know, we can't, we can't move forward. Or it sounds like you think if I don't agree with you, we won't be good parents. So it can be anything like that. And I name it and I help them realize that there's something. And then that gives them an opportunity to realize that there's something underneath that, that doesn't have as much to do with the thing as it does with maybe what they're afraid of or what they're anxious about. And so then it gives us opportunity to try and find a way for them to get that need met without believing that I have to buy into what they're selling or without them believing that I have to agree with them on everything. So if they're afraid of something, if they're afraid that if we don't parent the same way, we're not going to be a good partnership, we can start to talk about that. If they're trying to convince me that, you know, I have to buy this particular product in order to, you know, protect myself from, I don't know, the, uh, what kind of crap's in our food or whatever, I don't know. And I don't agree. And they're afraid that my health is going to be compromised for that, right? We can start to have a conversation about what's behind that. And I have acknowledged that they have big feelings about something and I have validated their big feelings and I have just given them the space. It is not my job to work through this with them because they're adults. But if the relationship is close enough, I can. But basically, I've just given them a place to start to explore what's going on for them. And then we can figure out together, if necessary, how to um, get that whatever need they have met, not through agreement, not through persuasion or influence, but just by saying, hey, I'm not going to be on board with you for this. So how else can I support you in getting that need met where you are worried about our parenting styles and us being good parents together, right? So acknowledge and validate. The next one is words of understanding. Give words of understanding before you give advice, make requests, or offer up consequences. Again, in adult relationships, it's hard to see where we might offer up consequences, but it happens even if we don't intend it to. Understanding does not mean agreement. It means that you are willing to listen to them. And it's that simple and see things through their eyes. This is the same kind of action you do with your kids. And when someone you are in a relationship with knows or believes that you get it, they soften a little bit. They open up a little bit. The byproduct of that might be you have influence and persuasion, but you won't have influence and persuasion just because you do this. So you understand where they're coming from. I understand that you believe this way of parenting is better than my way. And I understand that you didn't mean to go behind my back and undermine us as a couple 
or as parents, but I'm not okay with that. So that's how you understand. And then you make a request and the requests could be, can we talk about things before there are any consequences given to the kids? So that's the way it works in a co-parenting relationship. It can be any other thing, but your best bet as a human being is to listen to another person with the intent of understanding them and not advising them and not asking them for something. And then if you need that after you have listened, then you can do that. So that is understanding before advice, requests, or consequences. The next one is set or let the limits be on behavior, not needs, wants, wishes, or feelings. Again, same thing in adult relationships. All feelings are okay. I was talking to a client the other day, and we were talking about this idea that human beings are universally emotional, right? As infants, we cry and fuss to get our physical needs taken care of. We need to be fed. We need to be changed. We need to be clothed. We need to be at a moderate temperature. We want to be cuddled, cozied, and loved. And so we cry. As toddlers, we have big emotions and we use those big emotions to get our needs met. We want something. We cry. We have something taken away from us. We cry. We are upset. We hit. Okay. Big emotions. Toddlers, uh, kids, tweens, teens, young adults, adults. We do exactly the same thing. We have big feelings and we behave sometimes in ways that are not particularly healthy or appropriate or attractive because we have these big feelings. We're no, we're never any different. We are very, very predictable, right? And so you don't tell an adult to stop having a feeling or stop exhibiting an emotion just because you're uncomfortable with it or just because you don't like it or just because you think it means something or because you don't want it to mean something. Jealousy, frustration, impatience, all the feelings, all the feelings get to be felt by all of us all the time. It's the behavior that comes after the feeling that can be addressed. So if you are in an argument with a spouse and the argument is about certain needs and certain frustrations or impatience about things, and the behavior is that they're yelling at you or withholding or stonewalling or showing contempt. The behaviors are the stonewalling, the contempt, the withdrawing. Those are the things that you can address. And you can address them by saying, hey, I noticed that when we have this this conversation around this particular subject that you get really frustrated. And then in that frustration, you shut the conversation down and you walk away. And when you do that, I feel like you don't value what I have to say about this. And that's how you address the behavior, 
which is the walking away and not the emotion, the frustration, the impatience. Okay. And then that person gets to come back and make a decision. Is this something they are willing to tolerate? Is this something they continue can continue to engage in? If not, the conversation can continue to figure out how to address it in a different way. But you are limiting behavior, not telling them that they're stupid for feeling this way or lazy because they want to get out of this conversation or any other insult to their emotions or feelings. So feelings are okay. Behaviors are not always okay. The next one is to have strong boundaries and allow for objection and disagreement. And I think this goes directly to the persuasion and influence, because if you have strong boundaries and allow for disagreement and objection, that's an invite into a potentially into the relationship circle where they can share their objections or share their disagreements. And that's pretty healthy. And you shouldn't be doing this in order to get something out of it. So it's important that in our adult relationships, whether they're friendships or spouses or employers or whatever different dynamic you can come up with, adult siblings, it's important that everybody believes they get to have their own opinion and their own mind and their own thoughts about all the same subjects that you do and that they don't have to agree and they don't have to buy into someone's viewpoint. And we have to allow for whatever conversations take place around the disagreement and objection. That is just, that's just decent behavior. That's just being able to be a decent human being in a relationship. And so you let people know respectfully what your objections are, what your disagreements are, excuse me. And if you are the other person, you allow for that. If you have enough security in yourself and you're not feeling anxious or afraid of the disagreement, you can actually invite disagreement or objection or a differing opinion. And that's okay. It doesn't mean anything about you. The next one is don't take their mistakes personally. And I'm going to generalize this one by just saying, don't take things personally. If you want to make it specific and and look at mistakes that you might see in relationships you have, that's fine. But mostly I just want to deal with don't take things personally. My observation, my experience is that a lot of stuff goes on. A lot of stuff is said. A lot of stuff is written. A lot of stuff is communicated in one way or another that can easily send me spiraling or people spiraling into frustration, anger, despair, impatience, whatever word you want to call, because I'm taking personally something somebody said and, or I'm observing a mistake 
or a missed opportunity in a relationship with me and I'm taking it personally. Everybody gets to make mistakes. Everybody gets to have opinions. I don't have to be weighed down by people's missed expectations of me or I don't know, their, their misunderstanding of me or what I am or who I am or why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that just goes with everything. It's such a broad category of don't take things personally that I'm just going to kind of leave it to you to see how and where you might do that and how and where you might be able to stop doing that. If you are not getting everything you need in your relationship because someone isn't able to commit fully or offer you up what you need or give a hundred percent it's not necessarily about you it's not necessarily that you are unlovable or that you are lacking or that you are too much this or too little that very often it's just about them. It's just about them trying to figure out their stuff. So don't take things personally. The last one that I'm going to talk about is listen and be available for almost everything slash as much as you can. In the context of parent and children, it's being able to listen to the little things so that they'll trust you with the big things or being trustworthy with the little things so that they will trust you with the big things. In your adult relationships, it's just try and be as open as possible. And very generally speaking, listen to people in your life, okay? Listen to what they say. Listen to what's underneath what they say. Identify feelings and emotions and dreams and desires and hopes and wishes in the things that they're saying. So much understanding takes place because we're just dealing with words, which is, again, why I despise chat words. I think they are really quite honestly my ex my experience in reading observing and the tiny bit of investment i make in them if i do i find extraordinarily difficult and absolutely not worth my time and i'm appreciative that other people are finding uh different ways to engage with them but the ex the the lack of nuanced communication, the inability to see another person's facial expressions or hear their intonation or anything like that decreases my capacity to hear and really truly understand somebody that I can't, that I almost cannot do it. And that might be because I am at capacity and I don't have the space for that kind of communication, but I really do work on my person to person communication where I try and hear and listen and understand and be available for all kinds of conversations so that when my husband wants to talk about something big, he can trust me with it because I have listened to the littles and I have understood and I have validated and acknowledged and understood him and the same with my adult children and the same with my friends and the same with my coworkers. So really try and utilize all of those listening skills for 
everything. Don't be on your phone. Don't be dismissive. Don't be watching TV. If the opportunity to listen will bring you closer and offer up a better, more emotionally intimate connection. I want to add a clarification to that because I just pretty much slammed chat boards or online communication. And I don't, it's not just that it's text messaging, it's DMing, it's all of the stuff that doesn't allow for the nonverbals and that. So it's not just online communication in, in the computer world or the chat boards or Reddit or whatever it is you're doing. It's literally all non-person to person or nonverbal communication. I've mentioned this before. I will listen to clients tell me about arguments or discussions or difficult things they're working out with another person. And then the bomb is dropped that all of this has taken place through a text message or some online social media site. And I am like, I cannot even begin to address this because what you're doing is not real. It is, it's not real. And so, and I see I'm getting really, really, I can feel myself getting really frustrated with this because this happens so often. And the younger generation especially thinks that these are legitimate ways of communicating with people and they're not. So I didn't want to just throw one form of online communication under the bus. I just wanted to say that when you are trying to listen and be available for all parts of your relationships, while these online communications may be part of it, there has to be that person-to-person, face-to-face, or at least verbal communication in order to really build those emotional connections, which then just make people feel like they're cared about, right? Okay. So those are the things, those were my examples of the correlation to adult relationships. And I just kind of want to wrap up with some reminders that this work is hard. It is hard work. It is vulnerable work. It is work that feels scary more often than not. We have extraordinary drive to feel love, to feel approved, and to feel like we are accepted. And if being vulnerable in these adult relationships create any idea or concept of risk in us where we may not be understood or we may not be heard or we may lose the love of someone else they're very very hard to have the other thing i would like to reiterate if i have not i i'm pretty sure i have said it before but we have limited capacity okay we have families and friends and coworkers and siblings and children and a lot of people in our lives. And if there are people in your life for whom this amount of work is too much or somehow misplaced, you have permission to disengage. Your resources should not be spent trying to engage with someone who doesn't bring the value that other more intimate or closer relationships will. I don't know if that sounds harsh. 
I don't know if that sounds like it's, I don't know. I just really believe this. I believe that everybody deserves to have people in their lives who will stick with them. To go back to the three circles, I believe there are, everybody deserves to have people who will stay in those three circles and offer up their truth and listen to the other person's truth and then go into the relationship circle with them to try and work things out. Everybody deserves those kind of people in their life, but you are not required to be that for everybody. And someone else is not required to be that for you if they don't have the capacity for that and they need to put their energy and effort elsewhere. Usually those relationships are our families and close friends. Those are the people that we more often than not should be able to count on. And if we don't, then please go out and find people you can count on. But you do not have to invest this kind of emotional connection with everybody. It is too much. It's too much work. It's too difficult. And often there isn't enough payoff. So my suggestion is work closer to home, so to speak. And home is going to look different for everybody. I don't mean home, home. I just mean home in your heart where those relationships feel like they need tending, they need work, they need a, a they need water and love and sunshine and rain and nurturing and pruning and growing more often than not those relationships are closer and if we are avoiding those closer relationships to chink off our edges with other people i would ask you to check in with yourself to figure out why you would rather do the work outside of your home so to speak I will leave you with a quote by Neil Clark Warren, who said, your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. And have a great week. Mm-hmm.